open your Bibles to the book of John. We're finishing up our series this uh, for this Christmas in the book of John. We've been looking at it from John's perspective, which is completely different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all look at it from a human perspective with different areas of, of looking at it. Uh, one from a Jewish perspective and one to, to Gentiles. John, however, his whole purpose in his Christmas story as well as his purpose in his entire gospel is to show us that Jesus is God. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet, but he is God. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18 at the culmination of this. And we're going to see that it's the incarnation is at the pinnacle of what we believe. We're going to see three things. First, that he is the eternal Emmanuel. He is eternally with us for all time. And it's because Jesus is the eternal Emmanuel that we can know whom it is that we serve. Second thing we're going to see is that he is the gracious giver. Verse 16 is because of his mercy that, he, that we have been given life. May we, not waste it, may, may we not waste the life that we've been given through Christ. And the final thing we're going to see is that he is the righteous revealer. Verse 17 and 18, as we're going to see that Christmas is about remembering the revelation of God that he has brought to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The main idea of, of our sermon that we're going to see is very simple. The main idea is that Jesus is God. Stand with us as we honor the reading of God's word. John, starting in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, he ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed us, revealed to us who you are in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we come to you, that as we seek you, that you would help us remember who it is we serve and what the reason is for this season. Father, open our, our, our hearts and our eyes to the power of your spirit. Let it descend upon this place. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. The question we need to ask this morning is how can someone truly be known? So people in this room may know things about me. But how many truly know the core of who I am? Even Chelsea knows a lot about me. We've been living together for seven years now. Seven, we've known each other for eight years. But even so, I know more about myself than she, even she knows about me. The only real way that you could know something about me is if I come down and actually tell you something about me. This morning, we're going to see that that is exactly what God does. This morning, God, we're going to see that God came down and made himself known before he came. He, the things that were known about him were there. You could know specific, certain things about God. But when he came down, he truly made himself known. So we're going to see our first point, the eternal Emmanuel. Look at verse 14. It says, the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Now, I've been over this over the last four weeks, but the word is John the Apostle's way, favorite uh, way to describe Jesus. It's the word, the logos. Remember, we talked about three weeks ago. That in the, it said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This logos was used for numerous reasons. One, the people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, would have understood that this logos was there, this word. It said the word came to the prophet Isaiah. The word came to the prophet Malachi. And it was known among the pagans. It was known among the Greeks because they had this, this mindset of the word, this, this extra force that was outside of, of God that was working in creation. Well, John here says the word, that is Jesus, that is the, the eternal one, became flesh. He put on humanity and he dwelt among us. Philippians 2 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, the word, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Became flesh, right? And, and being born in the likeness of men and be, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross, he dwelt among us. That with all three things we have in this one verse. So Paul wrote that, that if the resurrection did not happen, then our hope is in vain. Right? We know this. Well, here, we, we, with Christianity, we, we have a domino effect. If the cross did not happen, then the resurrection couldn't have happened. So our hope is in vain. But similarly, if the cradle had not happened then the cross would not have happened. If the cross had not happened, then the resurrection would not have happened. And our hope is in vain. You see, the way this works is that if we take one thing out of, of the equation, all of it falls apart. Why? Because we serve the God that is true, that is right, that is just, that is, that is honorable, that never lies. And so everything we see here, we have here, is true and is right. We have a faith in the one true God that has formed all things and worked all things. If he is found to be a liar in one point, our faith is destroyed. But because we serve the one true God of the universe, we can see and we can know and we can verify that all that he has told us is true. This is the cornerstone and the backbone of our faith. Jesus, God, the second person in the triune God, put on flesh and dwelt among us. His, his creation. The original language says that he tabernacled among us, that he, he pitched his tent among us. This was the same thing he did in the Old Testament when they, they would they build the temple and they, once a year the, the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies to dwell among his people. Why? So that he could go and he could make sacrifices for them. And they, when the temple was destroyed, they had this tent that they would go, they would carry from place to place because it was the presence of God with them. Now, Jesus is tabernacled amongst his people, his creation, for 33 years, culminating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is the Christmas story in a nutshell, from God's perspective. But John doesn't let it rest there. He reiterates that this word is essentially what he is doing in verse 14. Look at verse 14. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
Essentially, he's repeating himself, right? That's what we're saying here. And whenever we see someone in their writing repeat themselves, we need to hone in and focus in on what they're saying. That's true in all writing, but especially in the scriptures. He says, and we have seen his glory. Wh- whose glory? Well, go back to your context. That is the glory of the word. The word of God made flesh. Glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So how is he repeating himself? To answer that, we have to know something about how God revealed himself in Scripture. God reveals himself in Scripture as the truth, as the life, as grace, as glory. Who alone receives glory in the Scriptures? It's God. Who alone has a visible glory in the Bible? It's God. The answer to both those is God. But he, Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his hand, by the word of his power. Just as Jesus is the word by which all things were created, which we saw in John 1, 1, Jesus is also the light by which the glory of God radiates. What, what, what happened to when Moses saw the backside of his presence? He, Moses came into the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting, and he said, would you show me your presence? And God said, I'll show you the backside, because if you saw the, the fullness of it, you'd be destroyed. Remember what happened to his face after he left? His face shone like, like light. His face shone like it was day. This is, that was Jesus, the, the visible representation of the glory of God being shown on Moses' face. Well, we have to ask the same question about truth. What is, what is truth? What do we see about truth in the Bible? Now, nowadays, truth gets thrown around a lot. But in the scriptures... It only is talking about two things. God, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, or his word. Nowhere else is it used in all of scripture. Now, in in our society, in our culture, it's thrown around for about anything that's right or correct. You can have something that is correct, but not true. So what's he saying here? If that's the way it's used, he's saying that Jesus is God. He's repeating himself with different words. I want you to see that. Listen to me. It is because Jesus is the eternal Emmanuel that we can know him, know whom it is we serve. It is because Jesus came that we can know God. He is the truth of God revealed in the word. In the world. Sure, we could know some things about God. The Bible says, a fool says in his heart there is no God, but we wouldn't know the specifics about who God is unless he came down, stepped down into creation, and told us who he was. Now, this is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions look out there at the world and say, oh, this is what God must be like. In Christianity, God came down and said, no, no, no. This is what I'm like. He gave us his word so that we could know him. He gave us the son so that we could know him. But now John puts something that almost seems out of place in the text. He starts talking about John the Baptist. John, we have John A, John the Apostle, and John B, John the Baptist. But now John puts some, look at verse 15. It says, John, talking about John B, John bore witness about him. And cried out, this is he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Because he was before me. Why is this even here? Why does he go from talking about the eternal one, the eternal Christ, the eternal word of God, all of a sudden to giving a witness from John the Baptist? 
Well, it's, it's rarely random if we don't know the Old Testament. Deuteronomy says that any testimony has to be, can only be accepted on the account of two or three witnesses. And so John the Baptist, John B, and John A are agreeing with one another in what they're saying. Look what he says. He says, he who comes after me, if you go back to Luke, once again, I've told you this before, but I know you guys are, con- are not familiar with Luke. But when you go back to Luke, Elizabeth was pregnant six months prior to Mary. And so he was physically born after or before Jesus. Jesus was physically born after him. And yet it says he was before him and he, because he ranks before him. He ranks before him because he was before him. And then now, how is that even possible? It's possible because John B. knew that Jesus was the eternal Emmanuel. The, the only way that this would have been possible, and this is why John B. is agreeing with John A., is because he's saying he's the eternal one. John B.'s witness is the same as John A.'s witness. That, that this Jesus is not just a good man. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a person of obscurity in history. He is the eternal Emmanuel. That, that be, but what does that mean practically for us? Second thing we're going to see is that he is the gracious giver. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. His fullness is the same idea in the scriptures as his glory. From all that makes him who he is, all his righteousness, all his goodness, all his sinlessness, and even all his wrath and his judgment, because of all of who he is, we receive grace. Now, you, that may be really easy to comprehend when we think about his goodness, his righteousness, and his sinlessness. What about those last two things I said? From all of his wrath, from all of his judgment, How do we receive grace from his wrath and his judgment against sin? Well, the first thing we have to remember is that his wrath and his judgment are always good, right, and pure. He he has a righteous wrath against sin. His judgments are always right and good. The second thing we have to remember is that if, if he was to look over your sins, if he was to sweep them under the rug, that makes him an evil and wicked judge. If someone comes into my house and steals all my stuff and the judge goes, he gets caught and goes before the judge and the judge says, yeah, I know he messed up. I know he stole your stuff, but he's a pretty good person. He goes to church. He gives, gives to these different charities. It's not that big of a deal. That's an evil and wicked judge. If someone breaks the law, the way it's demanded by justice is that they have retribution. It's the right thing to do is to pay for their law breaking. But therein lies the problem. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have have messed up and broken his laws. So we all deserve the righteous punishment. But in God's plan of redemption, which he had from the beginning, look at Romans 3. And actually, I want you to turn there. Turn to Romans 3 if you have your Bibles open. Because right after he tells us that we are absolutely lost, we are hopeless, our, our mouths are like an open grave, it says. In your pew Bible, it's page 885 if you're turning there. He goes and says this in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, here's the reason why he did it. Ready? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. What does all that mean? It means that for God to remain just, sin has to be punished. But so that God would remain just and still be able to forgive he sent his son so that he could be both just and the justifier of our, sin, of our sins. He drank the cup. Chelsea posted this meme earlier this week. I don't remember who, who said it, but he drank the cup full of wrath without mercy so that we could drink the cup full of mercy without wrath. He remained just in his judgment. He, he, he righteously punished sin. And he was the justifier, the one who paid for our sins. What a glorious gospel truth that we have. That though you are a sinner, God loves you and took your sins that you can have life. If you still have your Bible open, flip the page to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 Verse 1 and 2, it picks up in the same theme, justification. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in this grace. We, we live in this grace that has been given to us through our Lord. But I, I love how the text puts it back in, in John. He says, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, this is put into the, the, uh, the future in the perfect tense. Sorry, the perfect tense in the original language. It could be just as well saying grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We stand in this grace that has been given to us by Jesus. Why? Look, look at the, to the last week. We have been given this right to become children of God. Listen, it is because of his mercy that we have been given life. May we not waste the life that we have been given through Jesus Christ. What are you doing with this grace? You have been let off the hook of an eternity of life sentences. How are you showing your joy? How are you expressing the life that you have been given from the, to, the, that redeemed you from the pit? We stand we live in the grace of God every day, and he has made us right with him. He has become both just and the justifier in the person and work of Jesus Christ. May we go forth this Christmas, not with the same old mindset, but with a newfound zeal and a faith for the faith and our creator who has given us life. John wants his readers to understand the amazing nature that Jesus, that Jesus has given to us. But he also wants us to understand what has, what has been revealed through Jesus. Which brings us to our final point. That he is not just the eternal Emmanuel. He is not just the gracious giver, but he is the righteous revealer. Look at verse 17 and 18. Starting in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, this connects directly back to verse 14 of our, of our same chapter. We have seen his glory. Glory is that the only son of the father, full of what? Grace and truth. And now in verse 17, for the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. But, but now John is showing, by, by contrast, what is newly revealed through Jesus. That's what I want you to see here. John is showing, by contrast, what has been newly been revealed through Jesus. Old Testament was law, the standard. It was, it was good and right and perfect. It was meant to show us the holiness of God and show us the, the seriousness of sin. It was also meant to show us the inability we have to keep the law. I've done this before, but... Look at the great leaders of the men in the Bible. Noah, after he comes down on the ark, he gets drunk and passes out. Samson, David, and Saul were all womanizers. David, who was a friend of God, was a murderer. Abraham, the father of our faith, doubted God's provision and twice denied that Sarah was his wife. It's because of, out of fear. Time and time again, great leaders and great men of faith are shown as flawed. Why? Because in the Old Testament, he revealed his standard knowing full well that we could not live up to it, that we could not keep it because of the sin that is in all people. And yet he still, even amidst sin, even amidst unfaithfulness, even amidst direct disobedience, God kept the people for himself that he would redeem. The standard was through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus. Old Testament and New Testament alike, the grace was given to Abraham, David, and Samson through Jesus, not by keeping the law, through Jesus. It was given by their faith in a, a promised Messiah that would one day come. And you and me can be redeemed today by not by keeping the law, not by, by doing the right thing, not by coming and doing the same and come to church even and pray, but by Jesus Christ and him alone. We have been paid for by a past payment. That payment was the per, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus turned on the lights to reveal who God is and the fullness of his character. I want you to see that. Christmas is about remembering the revelation of God, that he has brought to us in the person of Jesus Christ. All that you need to know can be found and revealed in the Bible, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I have a challenge for you. My, my challenge for you this year is to take time and purposefully grow in the faith more than you did last year. Anyone can do that. So, some of y'all didn't grow at all, right? Some of y'all grew a ton. However much it was, do a little more. Grow a little more. Read a little more. How can we do that? Well, simple. We're going to be starting discipleship groups. You look... If you took uh, our new, the newsletter I made, we're going to be starting discipleship groups. It's going to be meeting twice a week. Two, two different groups can be the same people. It doesn't have to be. At 1 o'clock Tuesday and Thursday. One is going to be focused on growing in the maturity of the faith. Go, looking at theological. We've actually already been doing this. Harvey and... Uh, Doyle and myself and, and Garney have been meeting once a week, going through some of these deeper truths. We're opening that up to anyone. Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. Thursdays is going to be focused on prayer. We're going to be joining together, if, if we're, you can, at 1 o'clock and just praying. 
praying for our, our country, praying for our church, praying for the people around us. You could, you could do it by coming to Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Revelation, the, the most under, misunderstood book in all the Bible. We're going to be going, we've been going verse by verse through this book, and we're praying for those around. You can do it by coming to Sunday school, or you can do it by getting on a Bible reading plan, going through and actually reading this book, the, the most attested to book in all of human history. It may look like getting a devotional. If you want to do that, talk to me. I have a bunch of them sitting in my office. I'll give you. Whatever that means for you, growing more in Christ this coming year than you did last year. That's my challenge for you. John finishes his Christmas story by showing us the purpose of Jesus from the cradle to the cross. It was to make the Father known. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Remember, Moses was the only one allowed to see the backside of God's glory in the Old Testament. The, the high priest was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. Now, wait a second. What are we doing here? The only God who's at the Father's side. I thought the Father was God. But now it says the only God, one, singular, is at the Father's side, who is also God. So do we have two gods? No, we have the, the perfect triune God. From the beginning to the end, you go back to Genesis chapter 1. It's, it's talking in this, this plural language. And now we get here at the end of John. He's showing us the only God who is the word, who is Jesus, is sitting at the Father's side, who is God. The only one. I want you to see that. This is, the, this is the Christmas story in John's gospel. Jesus hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't ascended to the Father's side. Remember, John's point of the gospel is to prove that Jesus is God. And so he says here, even before Jesus died on the cross, he's already sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Because this was the plan from the foundation of the world, not one that he came up with randomly. Jesus is the eternal one. The eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, has made known God to us by coming in the person of Jesus Christ. He has made him known. So what do we do with this message? What do we do with this Christmas story from the book of John? First, seek to spend more time with him because of who he is. Seek throughout your life, throughout your week, to spend more time with them. That may mean in the morning when you get up. It may mean right before you go to bed. It may mean with your family gathered together. I don't know what that looks like for you, but seek to spend more time with Jesus. Talk to him in prayer and re let him talk to you through his word. Allow the Holy Spirit to form and change you this year. Number two, remember the grace you have been giving and that you stand in, that you live in. Remember and let it be a motivating factor to do the first thing, to spend more time with him. You've been saved from an eternity of life sentences. You've gotten off the hook because he, and not just gotten off the hook, but he's made you his son. He's given you the right to become a child of God. Number three, seek to know him more because he is knowable. We serve a God that is not far off. We serve a God that is not unknowable. We serve a God that has made himself known in creation, but has specifically come down to earth and given, told us exactly who he is. People have been trying to disprove it for years. It's not possible. They can disprove it from people that don't know it very well. They can't disprove it from people that know it. Know the word. Know your God. If you don't know him, read his word so that you, and pray that the spirit would, would enlighten your heart to, 
It was given so that you could know him. We're going to enter into a time of communion as soon as I pray. And we're going to be partaking as a church family in this that was established by Jesus. It was established by Jesus on the Lord's Supper so that we could remember his work. We could remember his death on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God. The God of the universe has revealed yourself through the person and work of your son. Father, I pray that you would magnify yourself this morning. Magnify yourself through, through this, this communion. Magnify yourself through this gathering of people. Magnify yourself, Father, in who you are. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.